0: So I'm coming to the end of my study on writing this week. And for the last part of this little series, I wanted to step out of the commercial realm and explore how people write as an art form. And the best resource I know, the best podcast I know is Writing Excuses, which is a collective of authors sharing tips on how they write. The Writing Excuses team recently did a series on poetry, which I think is the most concentrated form of writing. It is the one that's most quotable and just has the most art to it. So let's have a listen on how they break down poetry.
1: Longtime listeners will have heard me say before that one of the things that drew me to, to puppetry is the same thing that drew me to SF and, and fantasy, which is that it, uh, it, it takes reality and it tips it to the side so you can see the interconnective tissue. And as you were talking, I was like, oh, okay, and that's what poetry does too. <laughs> but it, the, the other thing that went through my head as you were talking was about why a person picks a particular form. And, um, and there's this other idea that I often talk about, usually when I'm trying to explain to people what voice means Mm. and that within puppetry, we, we have these three ideas. There's the aesthetic, the mechanical, and the personal. Mm. The aesthetic is, you know, what something looks like. The mechanical is literally like, what kind of puppet are you using? And, uh, and the personal is, you know, all of the idiosyncratic choices that you as a person make, um, and the example that I use is if you hand the same puppet to two different puppeteers, it will look like a different character. But what's occurred to me as you were talking is that I can take that kind of model and think of it as kind of which thing is is the thing that drives you as a writer. The, mm-hmm. the story you were telling with Sophia that it was the language that pulled to her, and it's like, oh, that's that she is drawn to aesthetic, mm-hmm. and and whereas I am, you know, there are a lot of people who are drawn to uh the 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 plot the you know the the structural mechanics of a story, and then other people are drawn to the 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 kind of the the personal story the personal narrative the message so to speak that's within it and that that kind of knowing which thing drives you as a writer also tells you where your defaults are and where your weaknesses are. yes, I completely agree with that that's so. That's so helpful. Yes. I, I was like, oh, oh, that's, that is part of why, like, uh, Pat Rothfuss talks about the fact that he needs to get the next word right before he can move on. And I've always been like, what's the point of him polishing words if you're not going to use them?
2: <laughs> I mean, How I'm going to I I use them if I, they're not polished.
1: <laughs> we, yeah. And, and this is exactly the, the that's
2: thing. the, that, that's the dialogue.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so so it it strikes me as a that that for listeners who are not naturally language driven, that one of the the really arguably you know pa- most powerful reasons to to dive into this is because it gives you a different way to approach story, and it gives you a different understanding of the ways we communicate, and and uh, and it it basically tips your entire narrative form on its sides to allow you to see the interconnective tissues.
0: I thought that metaphor of puppetry was pretty poetic, but essentially everyone breaks down to some kind of three-tier structure where there is something mechanical, there's something artistic, and then there's something personal. At the end of their podcast, they always like to leave homework for people, so I'm going to just share with you the poetry homework that they had, and maybe you can give a shot at it.
1: Uh, as sad as I am to, to leave things here, I, we have come to the homework part and talking about novels and about um, prose and poetry and to bring this all full circle. The homework I want to leave you with is I want you to find a favourite line from a novel or a short story, uh, one that moved you really, really deeply, one that you kind of keep in your head every now and then. And I want you to take that line and use it as the epigraph for a poem. So essentially, you know, if you see a poem and there's like a single line in italics at the start before the poem actually starts, that's what I mean. I want you to use that line from a novel or a short story, and I want you to write a poem following it. I want you to write a poem sparked by it, um, a kind of poetic tribute to whatever that line did to you.
2: The reason I brought this up is that it feels like a poet's version of you're out of excuses, now go write. (laughs) And it's from Robert Service. Lone amid the cafe's cheer, sad of heart am I tonight. Dolefully I drink my beer, but no single line I write. There's the wretched rent to pay, yet I glower at pen and ink. Oh, inspire me, muse, I pray. It is later than you think. Oh, that's
1: lovely. And also so painful and so true. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm, uh, as as we send folks away, I'm going to um, also share my father's favorite poem uh, by Ogden Nash: "Further Reflections on Parsley." Parsley is garslie. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Dan, that do you want to poem share a reminds poem? me of the time that someone auditioned for our high school musical by singing Minimum Wage by The Might Be Giants. Oh, the oh, only God. words in the song are minimum wage. He just <laughs> shouted it and left the room. It was great. Beautiful.
1: Uh, Dan, do you know have uh, a poem you want to share before we wrap?
2: Yes. I am going to uh, share a poem with you. This is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, by Brian Turner, who uh, was a uh, medic in Afghanistan and wrote a lot of poetry and then came home and uh, he was, for a while, the uh, Poet Laureate of the U.S. And his most famous poet it, poem is called Here, Bullet. If a body is what you want, then here is bone and gristle and flesh. Here is the clavicle-snapped wish, the aorta's opened valves, the leap thought makes at the synaptic gap. Here is the adrenaline rush you crave, that inexorable flight, that insane puncture into heat and blood. And I dare you to finish what you've started. Because here, bullet, here is where I complete the word you bring hissing through the air. Here is where I moan the barrel's cold esophagus, triggering my tongue's explosives for the rifling I have inside of me each twist of the round spun deeper because here bullet here is where the world ends every time.
1: Wow. Yeah. So with all of that, my dear listeners, you are out of excuses. Now go right.
0: To end this episode, I thought I would take them up on the homework. The favorite passage that I have, I don't have a sentence. I have a passage is from Terry Pratchett in his book, the thief of time. And the whole book starts this way. The first words that are read by the Seekers of Enlightenment in the secret, gong-banging, yeti-haunted valleys near the hub of the world are when they look into the life of Wen the eternally surprised. The first question they ask is, why was he eternally surprised? And they are told. "When considered the nature of time and understood that the universe is instant by instant recreated anew. Therefore, he understood, there is in truth no past, only a memory of the past. Blink your eyes, and the world you see next did not exist when you closed them. Therefore, he said, the only appropriate state of the mind is surprise. The only appropriate state of the heart is joy. The sky you see now, you have never seen before. The perfect moment is now. Be glad of it. The first words read by the young Luzi when he sought perplexity in the dark, teeming, rain-soaked city of Ang Morpork were, Rooms for rent, very reasonable. And he was glad of it.